turn back to 2 Kings 2. That's what we're going to have a look at this morning. And it's the Elijah, Elisha, Elisha, Elijah chapter. So you've got to have your Bible there because I'll mix up Elijah and Elisha. So if you're looking at the word, it'll be much better. Let me pray and then we'll have a look at this chapter. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are the speaking God. And we pray this morning that you help us to learn uh, from this event in history that happened thousands of years ago that we might understand why this happened and your purposes in it happening and how it points to the Lord Jesus. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, how do you feel about leadership succession? Uh, you know, there's all sorts of leadership successions that go on every day in our world. It could be a new boss. So, you know, your old boss is moving on to a new role. And so in comes the new person, new leader. Or it could be that 2IC, that person who's been the second in charge and they've been groomed for the leadership role. They've been under the, the, the wing or the, the tutelage of the senior leader for three years and now it's time for them to succeed the, the previous leader. Or think even of our churches. You know, church pastors, they, they, they come and go. New roles come up or they get old and they retire. Don't worry, Phil's not that old. But, uh, but leadership succession, it's, it's part and parcel of our world. It, it just happens all the time. And it will always be part and parcel of our world, primarily because we do get old and we do retire and people do eventually die. And so someone else has to step in and lead. And so I ask, how do you feel about leadership succession? Because to have a new leader brings with it both optimism and skepticism. And again, you see this all the time, don't you? You know, A new CEO takes the reign. I don't know if you hear the speech of some new leader in your workplace and they begin their time with this great visionary speech about where they're going to take the company. And uh, half the employees, usually the young ones who are a bit fresh and wet behind the ears, uh, they get all excited and they go, wow, that sounds so great. How exciting is this new leader? They're going to take the company in all these great directions. How good is that? And uh, the other half who are a bit older, a bit wiser, been there for a few decades, they go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. You know, The last leader said the same thing. And uh, under that leader, our share price went down 20%. And we don't get free lunches anymore. We've got to pay our own lunch. I didn't like that guy. But part of the ebb and flow of one in two kings has been leadership succession. And you've got to cast your mind back to where we started in one kings. But that's been the picture, hasn't it? Just think about it for a minute. What has been the flow of every couple of chapters or so? Remember, king such and such dies. And then king such and such, son of that king, becomes king over Judah or king over Israel. And every time there's that announcement of a new leader, of a leadership succession, what are we waiting for? We're both optimistic and skeptics because will this king be the one who does what is right in the Lord's sight, like King David before him? Or will this new king be like the one who does evil in the Lord's sight, like Jeroboam, son of Nebat? Every couple of chapters when a king dies and a new one comes along, we're waiting for that line. Will this be a good one or an evil one? And if you remember where we left last week, just look brief, briefly back to the end of chapter 1. So 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 17. See, what do we read there? Verse 17, we read that Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord. So there goes the king that Elijah had spoken. Since he had no son, Joram became the king in his place. And so when we have the announcement of the new king, what are we waiting for? What do we expect to read as we start chapter 2? We're expecting to read, is this king a good one? Does what is right in the, in the Lord's sight, or is he an evil one? Like Jeroboam, son of Nebat. But we don't get that. It doesn't come until chapter 3. 
And that's because the usual pattern here gets paused to deal with one important matter. Actually, to deal with a more important leadership succession. Because have a look at chapter 2 now, beginning of chapter 2. Look at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. What do we read? The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah, the great prophet of God, up to heaven in a whirlwind. And so what we've got in chapter 2 is a leadership succession. But it's not just from one king to the next king in line, but it's God's prophet. And God's prophet doesn't depend on bloodline, doesn't depend on heritage, but on God's appointment. And given every single king so far in the northern kingdom of Israel, because that's what we're focusing at the moment, every single one of those kings has done evil in the Lord's sight, well then the appointment of the prophet of God in Israel is so very important. See, without a good prophet, the northern kingdom has nothing. It has no word of God. It is void, completely void of the word of God without a good prophet. And this will test our memories, but we've already had a sneak peek into who will succeed Elijah. And uh, we saw this literally a year ago, it was September 2021, when we looked at 1 Kings 19. But let me refresh your memories. 1 Kings 19, it's up on the screen. And it said this, it said, The Lord said to Elijah, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Then you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. And so since 1 Kings 19, we've been waiting for this chapter. We've been waiting for Elisha to become the new Elijah. But it's more than that, because just look up again on the screen, on 1 Kings 19. Because up on the screen, Hazael has not yet been appointed as king over Aram. That doesn't happen until 2 Kings chapter 8. And Jehu has not yet been appointed as king over Israel. And that won't happen until 2 Kings chapter 9. It's all down the track. And each of those times, it will be Elisha who God uses to make it happen. And so this leadership succession in this chapter isn't just about handing over the reins of God's prophet in Israel. It's about God fulfilling his, prophet, his, fulfilling his purposes through his prophet in Israel. So this isn't just some same old, same old leadership succession. This is about God working out his plans, fulfilling the things he said he would do. So having said all that, let's look at how this succession happens. And we're up to point one. Make sure you've got your outline there. Point one, Elijah is taken. And it's worth saying from the beginning of this chapter, the language and the story is fairly simple. It's fairly straightforward. It's not a hard story to follow. Uh, it's not hard to understand, but there's lots of curious detail. I don't know if you noticed that as, as it was read out. Like, what is Elijah trying to do in traveling from place to place as we begin chapter 2? Did you notice that? So you have a look from verse 1, end of verse 1. It says this, Elijah and Elisha, they were traveling together from Gilgal. And then Elijah, he said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord is sending me, Elijah, unto Bethel. But Elisha replied, As long as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they, Elijah and Elisha, went together down to Bethel. And that doesn't happen only once. It happens three times. So have a look again at verse 4 now. Look at verse 4. When they get to Bethel, verse 4, Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here in Bethel, 
because the Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elijah said, as long as the Lord lives, sorry, Elisha, there's my first mistake. Elisha said, as long as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they, Elijah and Elisha, went to Jericho. And we see the same again in verse 6. But this time, it's to the Jordan. And so what's going on here? Is Elijah trying to get rid of Elisha? Uh, do you remember those days when you were a kid and if you had a little brother or a little sister and your friends come around and all you do all day is try to get rid of your little brother or your little sister? And no matter where you'd run away or where you try to go to, there they are with their mischievous grin following you around like a bad smell. Remember those days? Is that what's happening here? Uh, I remember those days, but I was the bad smell. I was the little brother. But what's going on? Is that what's going on here? Is he trying to get rid of Elisha? Well, it can't be because Elijah knows, remember 1 Kings 19, he knows that Elisha needs to be appointed. And when we get to the end of chapter 2, that's what will happen. It's exactly what happens. So, so it doesn't make sense for Elijah to try and avoid that happening. Now, I think what is happening here is that Elisha is given every chance to back out of this appointment. You see, if Elisha does not want to become God's new prophet, if he doesn't want to be the new Elijah to, to do the leadership succession thing, well, he's given three chances to jump ship. And just remember, Elisha has been following Elijah for a while at this point. And he's seen how hard it is to be God's prophet in Israel. It's hard. It's a tough gig. You'd never choose it. You never go, my aspiration is to be the new Elijah. It only means pain and sorrow and mocking. The only reason you would ever do it is if God asked you and if you loved God and if you were faithful to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so what Elijah, Elisha is saying by sticking with Elijah is, is he's saying, I'm in. Move around all you want. I'm not going to jump ship. I'm in warts and all. I'm loyal to the God of Israel. And really, this shouldn't surprise us about Elisha because, again, just to go back to 1 Kings 19, to cast your memories back there, do you remember what Elisha did when Elijah first asked him to follow? Uh, do you remember where Elisha was? Elisha was just your ordinary Israelite, faithful Israelite. He was in the fields. He was in his daily job. He had 12 teams of oxen with him and his bulls plowing the field. And then Elijah turns up out of nowhere and he calls him to follow him. And immediately in that moment, Elisha, he goes and he says goodbye to his family. He says goodbye to his community. And up on the screen, this is what he does, up on the screen, 1 Kings 19. At that point, Elisha took his team of oxen. Remember, there's 12 teams of them. And he slaughtered them. And then with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he then cooked the meats of the, the oxen. And he gave it to his people, to his community. And they ate. And then he left. He followed Elijah and served him. And so from the moment that Elisha was called, he left his whole livelihood behind, which is incredible. He, he didn't pass on his 12 team of oxen and his, his uh, plowing equipment to someone else in town and say, hey, look after this for me for a while because I'm going for a little bit, but I might come back. He didn't do that. He burnt it all because he had no more need for any of it. He was in. He was in warts and all. He was loyal to God and to Elijah, his prophet. And just a side note, isn't that just a beautiful picture of faithfulness to God? See, God calls him 
And Elisha leaves his comforts behind. He leaves his wealth behind. Twelve teams of oxen means that he was wealthy. He had a lot of dough. He had all this equipment, all these means, and yet he disposes of all of it. He uses all of it up because what does it matter anymore? He's been called to follow Elijah, God's prophet. And so at this point, as Elijah is just about to be taken by the Lord, the point is we're supposed to see Elisha as this worthy successor. He's loyal. He sticks with him. But the other curious bit of detail is the sons of the prophet. So did you notice them? Every place that Elijah and Elisha go to, you get the sons of the prophets. Uh, they're there in Bethel. Uh, they're there in Jericho. There's 50 of them, we're told, uh, who came to the Jordan. And we don't know much about these guys. They've, they've only come up once so far in 1 Kings chapter 20. They've only come up once. And we'll see them lots more in the chapters to come. But the main reason that the sons of the prophets are in every place that Elisha and Elijah go to is because once Elijah's gone, once the Lord takes him, then these sons of the prophets will need to serve Elisha. They'll need to listen to him. He'll be God's great prophet. And so it's important for them to see all that happens between Elijah and Elisha. And it's important to see that Elisha is loyal. He doesn't give up on Elijah. He doesn't just stay and, and, and jump ship. He, he remains faithful the whole time. And we'll see the mantle passed on in a minute. But that is all part of good succession planning. So you want the team to be clear and confident on who their new leader will be. And I love the little bit of dialogue that happens between them. Did you notice that? Between the, the sons of, of the prophets and Elisha. Uh, did you notice? Look at verse 3. See, the sons of the prophets came out to Elisha and they said to him, Hey, do you know that the Lord will take your master away? Yes, I know. Be quiet, says Elisha. And again, verse 5, they're like nagging little brothers. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Hey, do you know that your master will be taken away today? I know. Be quiet. You know, Quit rubbing it in. Leave it alone. Uh, it's comic. It's supposed to be comic. But it just shows everyone knows what's going to happen. Everybody knows. Elisha knows. Elijah knows. The son of the prophets know. And so we get the third curious bit of detail. Elijah and the whirlwind. Look now from verse 11. Verse 11. So as they, Elijah and Elisha, continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. And that was it. And verse 12, Then Elisha never saw him again. See, Elijah was taken. And, I mean, there's not much to say at this point. See, what can you say about this? Uh, it's weird. It's wonderful. It's miraculous. It's not normal. Don't expect it. Things like this don't happen. But that's the point. You see, the text doesn't tell us why Elijah was taken in this way, but it's supposed to be incredible. Uh, the whirlwind that comes, see, the whirlwind in the Bible is often a symbol of God's presence. Uh, the whirlwind is often a symbol of, of God acting miraculously. And if you see whirlwinds and God in the Old Testament, it's because he's done something incredible. But why Elijah is taken in this way, we don't quite know. It doesn't tell us. Uh, it could be because of the future promises about Elijah and John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He's the Elijah who is to come. Uh, so it could be because of that, because there's this future promise to do with Elijah that's incredible. But again, we don't know for sure. 
But what we do know is that Elijah, from this point on, the great prophet, is gone. And before we move on to see how Elisha is now the new Elijah, it's just worth stopping and seeing just how beautiful a moment this is for Elijah. As he just Again, you have to cast your memories back to last week, but particularly last year. But Elijah, he had a hard life. It was a tough gig being Elijah. See, the kings of Israel, all of them hated him. And remember Jezebel? Jezebel vowed to destroy him. And do you remember back in 1 Kings when Elijah went up to Mount Carmel uh, to, to, to show the prophets of Baal and to come up and challenge the prophets of Baal? Who was there with Elijah on Mount Carmel when he went up on the, on the mountain? No one. He, he was by himself. Or again, 1 Kings 19, Elijah cried out. It's up on the screen. Look at what he said, 1 Kings 19. He said to God, cried out, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. But all of Israel have abandoned the Lord God. They've killed your prophets with their swords. And what did Elijah say? He said, I alone, I alone, Elijah, am left. And they're looking to kill me too. Even last week, what did we see? Three lots of 50 men sent to kill Elijah. You see, it's been a hard slog for him. It hasn't been easy, and yet he's been faithful and he's been loyal to the Lord at much cost to himself. And yet, when that chariot comes down, when the Lord comes and takes him in the whirlwind and comes and takes him home to be with his Lord, we've got this most beautiful moment. Uh, In that moment, Elijah had no regrets in following his Lord so faithfully, even though it was hard. Uh, You know that song, uh, Sweet, low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. You know that song? It actually comes from this part of God's word. Uh, It was written as a reminder for the Christian that when life is hard and the daily slog gets even harder and you get down, remember, you can look forward to that day when God will carry you home. Uh, I love the Johnny Cash version of this song the best. Here here are some lyrics up on the screen. He sings like this, he says, Well, I looked over the Jordan, remember they're over the Jordan here, I looked over the Jordan and what did I see coming for to carry me home? There was a band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Well, I'm sometimes up and I'm sometimes down, coming for to carry me home, but I know my soul is heavenly bound, coming for to carry me home. And you see, isn't that our great hope as well? See, this world will never be right. It never will be. Forget what the leadership you know, successes say and all their visionary dreams of how things will get better. They don't ultimately. And for some of us, like Elijah, faithfulness to God will mean all sorts of pain and all sorts of sorrow, all sorts of difficulties. But that day when God comes to carry us home, there won't be an ounce of regret in your heart. Not one ounce. Just a beautiful moment in being heavenly bound. See, that's the greatest of days for Elijah, and that's the day to come for us. But we're up to point two now, and we'll move more quickly. Elisha, the new Elijah. You see, what you can't miss from this chapter is how Elisha is the new Elijah. Everything that comes up in this chapter is written for us to see that. Uh, So when Elijah, in verse 7, just look at verse 7, when Elijah is taken away, before he's taken away, 
when Elijah takes his mantle, his cloak, and strikes the Jordan River and it parts from the right and to the left, it's no accident that then Elisha picks up that same mantle and does the same thing. The point is the leadership has passed on. Elisha has, has taken up the mantle, literally. That's where we get the expression. Or take verse 15. Have a look at verse 15. When the sons of the prophet, when they see Elisha part the Jordan in that way, what do they conclude? The only conclusion they can make is that the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. And they bow down to the ground in front of him. And even though we get that strange scene with the sons of the prophets where they want to go searching for Elijah in verse 16, the point of the search is you won't find him. Go look all you want. You won't find him. He's gone. Elisha is the new Elijah. And just in case we still don't get the point, just notice the places that then Elisha travels back through. It's the same places as before. So at the beginning, we had Elijah and Elisha together. Where did they go? They went from Bethel to Jericho to across the Jordan. And now we get Elisha on his own traveling from the Jordan back to Jericho, back to Bethel. And in each of those places, what Elisha does is he, is he shows the people that he is the new Elijah. And we've already seen what he did across the Jordan. He parted the Jordan. But now look at what he does in Jericho, verse 19. Look at verse 19. The people of Jericho, they ask for help. They say the water is no good here, and therefore the land's unfruitful. And Elisha, he performs a sign in verse 20. He heals the water. And there's lots of background here. We don't have time to look at it. But if you go back to Joshua chapter 16, Joshua, another one of God's great prophets, he cursed Jericho. But now God has sent a new leader and a new prophet, and he removes the curse. Only God's prophet can do that. Elisha shows that he's the new prophet by doing that. And then we get another sign in Bethel. So have a look now at verse 23. Verse 23. And this time, it's not a blessing that Elisha gives, but a curse. And so we get this uh, strange event with young boys and hungry bears, which is a strange story, but a favorite with bald men everywhere. But here's what we need to understand. You see, Bethel is the capital city of Israelite idolatry. Again, there's lots of background here. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, just after Solomon had died and, and, and idolatry came into the northern kingdom of Israel, he set up a golden calf, one or two, in Bethel. It is the home of idolatry. And in verse 23, we get what we expect from Bethel. It, it comes with this group of young boys, and they could be anywhere from 8 to 18 years old. We don't quite know. It could be a mix of all those ages. But what they do is they harass Elisha. And uh, just a trigger warning here for the bald men amongst us. They say to Elisha, verse 23, get up, baldy. They taunt him. Get up, you baldy. And in saying get up, they're probably meaning go up. Get up, go up and worship at Bethel. Go up to the place of idolatry because you're no Elijah. Go up and worship the idols at Bethel like everyone else. And it could be, as they call Elisha baldy, they're doing so in contrast to Elijah. Remember Elijah? Was he bald? No, he was hairy. <laughs> he was an hairy man. Uh, which again is to say, you're no Elijah, baldy. You're no great prophet of the Lord. Which is a very costly thing for them to do. Because verse 24, Elijah, uh, Elisha turned around, looked at them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. 
And then the Lord sent out two female bears and they mauled 42 of them. And I know this makes us feel uncomfortable. And that's part of the point. If you feel uncomfortable about that, that's part of the point. But don't miss the big picture. The big picture is Elisha is the new Elijah. There's no doubting it. There's no mistaking it. Therefore, be very, very careful how you respond to God's prophet. What does Jericho do? They recognize that he's come from the Lord. They approach Elisha with respect and they're blessed. Bethel, what do they do? They call him Baldy and they approach him with taunts and they're severely cursed with bald men everywhere cheering along. You see, reject and mock God's prophet at great cost. That's the point. But as we finish, I want to go back to where we started with the question of leadership succession. Because hopefully by now you see, 2 Kings chapter 2, it's all about leadership succession. A new prophet of God has been installed. Succession has taken place. And as we read on in 2 Kings, we'll see God do all sorts of great things through his prophet Elisha. And they will be great. Just like God did through Elijah, just like God had done through previous leaders like Joshua and Moses. But, spoiler alert, Elisha's time, like Elijah's, comes to an end. We get to 2 Kings 13 and Elisha dies. His time comes to an end. And when Elisha dies, things are not good in Israel. Things are not put right. And none of that is Elisha's fault. He does lots of good things, but it leaves you on the side of skepticism. Another leader, even a great one like Elisha, and yet things are still not good. And it's not that God has failed. It's that God has always had another succession plan in mind. He's always had a final succession plan in mind. You see, we've got to be careful when we read uh, Old Testament scripture and pay attention to names. Because Elisha's name means God saves. And the other great leader of the Old Testament, Joshua, his name means the Lord saves. And I hope we all know what Jesus' name means. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. And that's no accident. You see, God always had a great succession plan in mind. And in the same way that Moses prepared the way for the next leader, Joshua... And Elijah prepares the way for Elisha. And then John the Baptist, the new Elijah to come, prepares the way for Jesus. That's the point of this chapter. We see where the final leadership succession leads. And I've just got a map on the screen for you just to show you this. Hopefully you can read it. But where is it that Moses passes the leadership on to Joshua? To the one called the Lord saves. It's where that red arrow points. When Moses passes to Joshua, where are they? They're across the Jordan near Jericho. And what we just read in 2 Kings 2, when Elijah passes on the leadership to Elisha in 2 Kings 2, to the one called God saves, where does it happen? Across the Jordan near Jericho. And when the Elijah to come, John the Baptist, declared in John's gospel, the one who comes after me has surpassed me, Jesus, the one who's called the Lord saves, when he's commissioned Remember when he's, the Spirit comes down on Jesus, when he's baptized in the Jordan, where does that take place? Right there. Right where that arrow is. In a place called Bethany. Across the Jordan, near Jericho. It's no accident. You see, what you can't miss with Jesus is that Jesus is the final leader. He's the final prophet of God's people. And why does that matter? 
it matters because this leader never dies. He never moves to a new role. He never retires. He never lets us down. So just imagine being one of the faithful Israelites in the time of one and two kings. There's Elisha and not many other people. And then Elisha dies. And all you're doing is waiting and waiting for God's leader to come along and rid the place of sin and wickedness and idolatry. But for us today, we don't have to wait. The great king and prophet Jesus has come, the one whom John the Baptist spoke of, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, has come. Sin, idolatry, wickedness has been dealt with. And Jesus will never move on and he'll never be replaced. And in that sense, it does not matter ultimately who your next boss is with all our skepticism over whether or not things will improve. It doesn't matter who our next prime minister is with all the promises they bring And who cares anyway, because in six months there'll be another leadership spill and they'll be gone. It doesn't even matter who your next church leader is. Though make sure they teach you God's word. You see, all human leaders come with visions and dreams and hopes and aspirations, but they all move on, they all ultimately die, and none of them can ultimately save and make this world right. Even with Elisha, for all the good that we'll see that he'll do, he isn't God's leader He'll ultimately make all things right. But the point of this chapter is to see that in Jesus, we have God's final leader. And he never disappoints. He never dies. And as the leader, he is coming back to put things right once and for all. Amen.